Hello, hello, my name is Michael, and I welcome you to What's Your Career, where careers are examined one at a time. I'm pleased to welcome Trent Lay, a financial advisor slash wealth manager. Trent is the type of guy that everybody looks up to because he's a quality person, and he's got a great family and a well-established career. However, as it is with most good things in life, his career success has come from years of hard work and small paydays. Trent describes the many roles and long hours he worked in the banking and personal finance industry before becoming a full-time financial advisor. He lays out the good and the bad of working with clients, as well as the business aspects of running your own office and marketing to clients. Trent really is a man of wisdom, and I'm excited for you to hear his priceless advice. Without further ado, Trent Lay. Trent Lay, welcome to the podcast. It is so good to have you with me. Uh, thank you. It's great to be here with you. Looking forward to this opportunity to visit with you. Awesome. Well, this this has been a podcast I've been looking to do, and I'm you know I'm grateful to have this opportunity with you. So tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, Trent. Oh, very good. Thank you. Um, so I'm a, a husband and father of uh, six children, and uh, have a career in uh, financial services, financial planning. And I live in the Pacific Northwest. And when it's not raining, we like to be out um, biking or hiking or uh, just enjoying nature. Awesome. So what, what, what are the age ranges of your children? Uh, oldest is 17 and youngest turns four this summer. And are there, are there any more on the way? That's it for us. Six, <laughs> six sounds like plenty to <laughs> me. That's, that's awesome. That's a wonderful family. And it's, you know, sounds like you've been able to provide for them as a financial planner, which I'm excited to jump into. So officially, your job title is, is it financial planner? Would be financial advisor, but financial advisor encompasses a variety of roles. And so uh, specifically to, to narrow in on it, uh, you would call it a wealth manager. So how many years have you been working um, as a wealth manager? As a wealth manager, uh, just about three years. And then in the financial services industry, about 20 years total. About the first 10 years, I was on the banking side, uh, lending and banking. And then uh, the last 10 years have been on the personal investments and um, personal finance uh, side of it. Ah, okay. Good. I'm, I'm excited to dig into that with you. Um, but before we do, I'd like you to rate your job function. So what you actually do day to day from one to 10, one being terrible and 10 being the dream job. Well, the job function, I would say, I don't know. I, I, I steer away from ones and tens usually. I don't know why. Yeah, well, most people do. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but it's definitely a strong eight. You know, it's up there. Okay, so there might be something better out there, but for the most part, you're quite happy with the the things that you do at work. You got it. Excellent. And then, how about your your level of happiness at your job? You know, you could love the work, but you know, hate the clients or hate the people you work with. And ultimately you're not very happy. So how would you rate happiness? You know, this one's a lot easier to give a 10. I'd go ahead and give this one a 10 because uh, for the most part, I get to control 
what my days look like. There are there are moments and situations that I I obviously um, don't get to pick, um, but I think by and large, um, it's a job that provides a lot of happiness. That's awesome to hear. I think you're my first 10 on the happiness scale. So well done right. and congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then one last question before we kind of get into the background and, and start talking about your history. Um, did you get a college degree and in what and any advanced degrees as well? I did. I got a bachelor degree in business administration and I had a lot of classes in marketing. I was in the uh, college DECA or DEX program uh, with marketing and entrepreneurship background. <clears throat> but then um, the degree itself was just um, general business management. And I, I went that route because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to land in, but I knew it would be in business. Okay. Let's go back to when you were in college and you you know, we're going into your senior year and then you graduated. Uh, what was your first job? Yeah, by the time I was a junior in college, I was I was ready to go as a financial advisor. I knew this was the career I wanted. And so I got a, a starting job as a bank teller. And I did that my, uh, my senior year of, of college. Um, made some great friends. Um, worked at uh, a couple of different branches and got to know uh, the business a little bit better and and was definitely still very interested in the position got a chance to meet some of the people that were in the financial advisor role and interviewed them and just kind of um, get a feel for what they did in a real sense well that, all right that's good to hear so how long were you a bank teller before you you transitioned upwards i guess so as soon as I got the college degree, um, my wife and I were ready to um, to move and try try something else on our own, get away from um, family a little bit and establish our own roots. And so um, we relocated, and I stayed with the same company, but uh, applied for different jobs um, in more senior roles. And so. Um, I was just a teller for that first year, and then after that, I got a job as a uh, personal banker, uh, doing new accounts and loans. And then um, about a year into that, the bank introduced this program called a licensed banker program, and it's where they would pay for the Series 7 and 66 licensing, and you could take those classes at home, um, and then you were still responsible for your 40 hours at work and you still had to meet performance matrix. Uh, but they would pay for this extra training if, if you wanted to do it. And I, I jumped at that and I let the bank put me through that training. And then I um, got my seven and 66 as well as a Washington state uh, insurance producer license, uh, all with Wells Fargo as a licensed banker. Okay. All right. So to summarize that you did one year as a teller, then you relocated and got a new position as a personal banker. And while you were a personal banker, you got some certifications. Now, I don't really know what those certifications are. You said a, a series yeah. 67 or, or other things like that. Yeah, if you want to talk to anybody about investments, um, it's a 
it's a regulated industry and you have to have uh, licenses to do that. So series seven and 66 allow you to have investment related conversations with clients and uh, also make recommendations. Um, we had a limited role as a, as a licensed personal banker. They had a limited product set, but it was still the same licensing and same um, uh, training uh, that would be needed later on to, to even advise at a greater level. All right, so you're a couple years into your career. Uh, do you feel like you're at a good place with Wells Fargo? Are you, are you satisfied with where you're at or are you still looking to transition and move into a, into a different role? I, uh, I hit a crossroad that I wasn't expecting. Um, there was some change in management and my branch was without a branch manager for a while. And I had kind of um, run the branch for a while in the absence of the manager. And I kind of really enjoyed um, the opportunity to lead and also create the, the culture within the branch and be involved in the hiring and the training. And so my district manager approached me about um, possibly taking on the branch as a branch manager. And, and I did that and actually went that route for a number of years. Um, kept my licensing, but uh, ran branches instead of uh, being a personal banker. And really enjoyed that for a long time. Probably, I don't know, five or six or seven years doing that. Awesome. Okay, so then let's fast forward a little bit and, and get more into your current position as a financial advisor. So, um, you know, I, I guess I'm assuming it was after those five, six, seven years that you eventually decided you wanted to change and go back to helping individuals with their finances. Yeah, there were a couple of things uh, that were challenging about that role as a branch manager you were ultimately responsible for everything in the branch, including making sure the branch is fully staffed. And sometimes um, you'd end up just working lots and lots of hours. And uh, it was a salaried job and, and it was a good salary for a young person and no complaints there, but um, it was definitely challenging on the family life. There was mm -hmm. no work-life balance. Um, Branches were open uh, six days a week. Saturday had limited hours, but still, you, you know, limited yeah. in what you could do as far as leaving town or uh, just taking time off. So uh, that kind of got uh, that kind of wore on me um, over over some time. Still enjoyed it, but um, then there were some financial advisors out at the same company that left. Uh, quite a few of them left at the same time to start up another firm. And I saw that as an opportunity to um, go ahead and take that leap and uh, get out of the retail branch and move into the role that I had initially started towards, which was being the financial advisor for the branches. All right. Well, good. Now, now we're kind of getting into the meat of it. And it's good to hear that backstory because people take different paths to get to their ultimate careers um, or, or the career that they love or their second career, whatever it is, people come from all sorts of backgrounds. And your background was, was fairly linear. I mean, a degree in 
business administration is is not necessarily finance, but it's it's along the same lines. Working for a bank and being a bank teller and a financial um, a family financial planner and then a, a a manager. It's all somewhat linear, uh, but it did take you several different positions and several different jobs. Uh, I guess within the same company to ultimately find you know what you do now and what it sounds like you really love and enjoy. So. Uh, now that we've gotten to this stage, uh, you know, where you started as a financial advisor, let's kind of back away from the history and just just tell me a little bit about the roles, the duties, the pay, the just the lifestyle of a financial advisor. If I want to be a financial advisor, what are the top, you know, five or ten things that I should know? Well, the first thing was the change in pay structure. So as a as a retail bank employee, you have either an hourly wage or a salary, and you can kind of count on a certain amount of income to come in, and you've got paid time off, and you've got holidays, and you've got sick time, and it's kind of a really nice um, situation. And then you move into a position where you give all of that up, and you have unlimited pay and <laughs> no benefits. And <laughs> so, um, you can make as much as you earn and um, if you want time off you can take time off it's not paid um, but you get to kind of work the schedule that you want and and you're still advising customers or clients but it's a little more specific now it's it's not lending and banking it's it's more about uh, stocks and bonds and mutual funds and um, uh, going beyond what uh, the bank can provide. Uh, but anyway, that leap of uh, going from regular income to um, just uh, commission-based income was definitely um, scary. Yeah, to say the least. Um, well, I believe it. Now, you said no benefits. Does that mean yeah. you were working for Wells Fargo still at the time, right? Yeah, but the role was uh, commission only. So you well, give so up you, your paid time off, you give up your holidays, you give up. Um, how, how about like health insurance and ah, Yes, they still provide those. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. So there you was, still have yeah. those benefits, but no, no paid time off. There was still uh, the medical that you could participate in as well as the 401k. Okay, all right. Is that common for large companies only or large and small and maybe even little independent, you know, one or two man teams or, or is that structured differently? I think that structure is very common for the large um, financial institutions. Uh, the smaller firms most likely aren't providing medical or if they are, it's not very robust options. Uh, same with 401k, they either aren't providing it or it's uh, just a limited offering. But as, as far as uh, the financial advising side of these financial institutions, I would say it was pretty typical. Okay. Okay. So now what was your role? I mean, I guess we can go back into the history a little bit, but when you started, I mean, how, how do you possibly get started i mean do you do you go knocking on doors and saying hey i need i need to invest your money or <laughs> i mean how did that happen you could definitely do that but working with the retail branches uh, it was really more about relationships with the existing bank clients and the bank employees 
So it was about coaching and mentoring the bankers and tellers and branch managers within a certain area. Uh, when I started, I had seven branches that I worked with and I would spend time in each of those branches. And we would have um, either one-on-one -on -one interactions or sometimes we would have a morning huddle before the branch opened and, and share sales tips and suggestions and ideas and market trends and things like that. Um, just to build rapport with and then and then as those tellers and bankers see customers with large deposits you know someone walks in and they're depositing a excessively large item into their savings account there's a trigger oh you know is this is this money that you intend to to use in the near future if not um, I'd love to explore other options with you and kind of dig deeper and, and see if it's an opportunity to uh, introduce me as someone that could take those dollars and do something additional with them besides keeping them in a savings account. So lots oh. of referrals. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So that was still with Wells Fargo then, and you mm -hmm. received lots of referrals kind of internally from the banking side of the company. And so that's how you, that's how you essentially got started and how you got some clients going. Um, mm -hmm. Was there any sort of, I mean, you went strictly to a commission pay, but did you have any sort of way to get started or? So there's a couple of different ways that, um, that the firm can help through that transition. One is that they just give you a signing bonus and it's usually based on uh, the dollars or assets that you have under management that you anticipate bringing over. So if they've recruited somebody from another firm, that has an anticipated 50 million under management, they might offer, you know, X amount of um, bonus money that uh, is just yours, just here's a lump sum. And, and then, you know, good luck bringing those clients over and, and keep growing. Or uh, for someone that's new and hasn't done that yet, uh, they had a role called a financial advisor in training or some version of that, very similar again across the different firms. But the idea being that um, you would get a salary, it was a reduced salary, and it would go down over the course of 12 months or 18 months or 24 months until it was zero. Um, and by then, hopefully, you know, you had done enough business, gathered enough assets and clients to start uh, generating your own mm. income. Okay. All right. So I want to hear about like what an eight hour day looked like or how many hours a day were you working even and what, you know, how did you fill your time? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're starting out, it's a lot of uh, networking, it's a lot of um, not just um, networking outside of the bank, um, like Chamber of Commerce, uh, Rotary, those kinds of things, but uh, also in the bank, uh, that one-on-one -on -one time with bankers and, and tellers um, bringing in lunches or coffee or donuts in the morning for their huddles. Um, lots of time just uh, developing that network and trust, relationships of trust with individuals. And then um, when you had a meeting scheduled with a client there was prep time so you would you'd do some homework you'd try and find out what you could know about the client 
uh, maybe a little background on their financial situation, whatever was available. And then um, just getting ready for that meeting. Um, and then and then meetings, it was either an initial meeting where you're gathering facts and uh, just trying to assess the financial uh, goals and, and situation or, or scheduled follow-up meetings. It could have been like a, an annual review meeting or maybe just like a follow-up meeting to that initial uh, consult where you lay out whether or not you think it's going to be a fit. If you think that uh, you've got a, a, a solution to their situation that uh, it's, it's going to be a fit for both of you. So, um, so the marketing and then uh, the client meetings and interactions, and then also time strategizing, uh, you know, the next month or six months or 12 months, uh, it's going to look like what, what you have uh, in place for goals, either for number of clients or assets or, or different activities that will help you achieve those goals. So, yeah. Okay. So at the beginning, did you work a crazy amount of hours? Were you were you stressed trying to get people and trying to network and trying to get clients and hold meetings and be on top of everything that you ended up working thirteen hour days? Is that yeah. is that standard practice for you know new upcoming financial advisors? Is that what's required to get going? Yeah, Michael, I think this story will sum it up. So when I started, I, I got myself a, uh, a cell phone line that was just for uh, this financial advisor role. And I remember I, I had used it on my cards and was giving it out to everybody. And I remember um, talking with one of the more senior financial advisors. Periodically, we'd have regional meetings or training events. And they were kind of laughing. <clears throat> Not really laughing, but they were like, oh, I remember when I used to do that too. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, why don't you have a work cell phone? They're like, uh, well, you know, now it's, it's just the office line. Um, if I'm not at the office, I'm, I am not taking calls. <laughs> you know? mm, yeah. they, can, they can leave a message for me. I'll get back to them. I have office hours. Um, I can tell you're very hungry right now and you want to be available 24-7 <laughs> to everybody. It was just kind of eye-opening, like, oh, wow. So there's there's a future, like uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. So, yes, I was putting in lots of long hours. Um, but over time, as I established a client base, I didn't need to do that as much. And eventually, I gave up that uh, work cell phone line. So... There you go. Huh. Awesome. Yeah, that's a good story. I like that. Uh, but that, you know, that that's a story you hear all the time in these kind of individual, you know, self-promoting type of careers, which is definitely what you are as a financial advisor. It's, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to put in the time and the hours and you've got to, you've got to establish yourself. Whether you're trying to open up a bakery or whether you're trying to do some freelance work as a website designer, um, all of those things, they require you to be known in some form or fashion. And to be known takes a lot of effort. And I'm sure it was different when you first got started, but nowadays it's about being on social media, I'm sure. Even though financial advising is a very professional thing and it 
you know, social media feels very relaxed. I'm sure. I, I bet there's a lot of financial advisors out there that rely on social media, on on Instagram and Facebook ads and YouTube tutorials and videos to to really build their name and their portfolio. Would you Would you say that's true? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that social media is uh, an essential part of marketing for financial advisors or anyone in this uh, type of role where you're um, trying to promote yourself and, and what you do. Oh, that, that sounds very intimidating to get started in that sort of position because you do have to, you have to struggle for the first few years and that's expected and that's just how it's going to be. Um, but, you know, good to hear that you powered through, you made it through and you're kind of at this point on the other side of it. So, um, and, and you know, when, when you're in that situation, like I had, I had gone through what I could at the bank and I was just, I was so ready for something different. I was willing to put in the time and the energy and the effort. So I think when someone's ready, they're ready and it doesn't matter how much work it's going to take. They just, they're excited to do it. So that's where I was. It was yeah. something I definitely wanted to do and looked forward to. So as you got going as a, as a, financial advisor full-time um did you need any additional certifications is that when you got your your certified financial planner your cfp uh certification mm -hmm. yeah i had asked about it initially asked my supervisor at wells fargo advisors about becoming a, a cfp and he was supportive but he said you know you really don't need it this early in the career, he says, you know, give yourself a few years, establish yourself a little bit more, and then you can spend some time doing that. And, and I think that was good advice. Um, really, uh, just investing in my clients first. And then once I had a little bit of extra time, I could use that time for studying and getting that extra certification, which, which is like a really deep dive into lots of different financial topics. So, you know, they'll take a scenario or a case study and just go deep in it and you're looking at every single aspect of it and then um, coming up with recommendations and the the education process was phenomenal uh, the then there's a test uh, component to it uh, that was extremely challenging um, and then you have to have so many hours uh, in in the in the role in the job and you've got to be again, sponsored by a company or a firm, and you've got to pass a background check and agree to a certain um, standard of, of code of conduct or ethics. Yep, yep. So all of this um, was really good to do, but um, but not, not when you're brand new to the job. Okay. All right, that makes sense. So that certification, I'm sure you know, helped you get more clients and be, you know, be seen a little bit more professionally or, or something to that effect. But yeah. what I like about what you said there is, you know, certifications and trainings, yeah, they help, but they're not everything. You needed to spend that time in the first few years just getting to know people, getting getting clients. And sometimes, you know, when we're exploring what to do or how to get into a position, we get so bogged down with the with the certifications and the trainings and the school and the tests, but mm -hmm. but we don't actually think about what the job function requires. Um, and so I'm glad you said it like that. Uh, you may have not even thought about what I was what I just said, but 
but it is good to hear that sometimes you just got to put your nose to the to the ground and get working and and let the certifications and trainings come when when you're able to do them yeah um so that that's really good advice there i appreciate that so when you um when you when you get started as a financial advisor i i mean often you know, in most, in, in many careers, you kind of join a team. You you join something that's already pretty well established and you just pick up where it's needed in a team. But as a financial advisor, you don't just jump in with other people's clients, right? I mean, how did you, how did you train or how did you see how to do the work if you're not able to, I mean, did you shadow anybody else? Did you, uh, you know, is there are there other financial advisors who will hire junior people to help them out with their own clients, or is it strictly just you yourself and your clients alone? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does make sense. Um, I would say, you know, people's experiences will be different. I can tell you mine, and then kind of what I think happens generally. So I was uh, working in a remote market, and the bank did not have a lot of support locally for me so i was able to attend uh, different training events and classes some of those were webinars and some of those were um, live courses but as far as sitting with somebody and um, observing them and getting best practices from them i didn't really have a lot of that uh, locally and i think it's market dependent so i think the advisors that were in the larger areas where there were more advisors, I think they did get that. Um, I had to do a lot of relying on just what I had already learned through the other bank channels and my experience there. Um, so I can't remember exactly what your question was. I, I was going to head in a different direction. Uh, yeah, are there any opportunities to kind of join a financial advisor with their clients or is mm -hmm. it strictly okay. you know one-on-one -on -one? yes so in a lot of situations you're going to see a senior and a junior advisor working together and the senior advisors had the book of business um, for a number of years and maybe even being approaching retirement in five to ten years the junior partner comes in he's going to learn the business he's going to take um, a lower pay in anticipation of inheriting this this book of clients at some point in the future. And so um, you see a lot of those kind of partnerships in this business. Um, or it could be uh, just like a smaller firm or a group of individuals and you might be hired on as uh, as an assistant where you're maybe uh, you start out by taking phone calls and setting up new accounts and placing trades for the advisor and you kind of get some background and licensing and training in that, and then you eventually move into a junior advisor role. Um, okay. It could also be um, where you're brought in as a part of the team, like you've got the financial advisors, and then you've got the client associate or the admin, and then they've got other support people that are really good at a specific thing relating to putting together the financial plan or gathering data. And, uh, and they'll work on the backside of the client relationship 
and then hand the job over to the financial advisor who does the presenting. So those are just different ways that you might get your foot in the door. Huh. Um, okay. Working with the firm. But you, you kind of went head first and that's, you know, that's awesome to hear, you know, it takes, yeah. it takes the right person and it takes a motivated person to really just jump right in. But it is also, it's, it's great to hear that there are avenues to kind of learn rather than just jumping in with no clients and no money, no pay essentially. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Let's jump into your, your recent work history. Awesome. Sure. So about three years ago, I decided to, uh, join an RIA, which is different from a broker-dealer. So a lot of firms uh, like Wells and, and Edward Jones and Merrill Lynch, they're broker-dealers. RIAs, um, uh, registered investment advisors, they operate a little bit differently. Um, we are uh, held to a fiduciary standard uh, instead of a suitability standard, which means that uh, we are obligated to act in the best interest of our clients which you would think well of course you would do that if you're a financial advisor right but actually a a, a suitability standard is not required to do that so uh, if you're working with a broker dealer you may you may not have to act in the best interest of your clients you may just be required to recommend investments that are suitable for the investment objective on the account huh that's that's super yeah. interesting to me because I, I don't know I feel like I've heard of of banks telling people to get loans when maybe they they really aren't in a good place to get loans but that's just what the bank recommends uh, is that kind of what you're talking <laughs> about uh, yeah so yes um, it's it's definitely more um, complex than than how I'm making it sound here. But, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> but essentially, uh, let's say at a broker-dealer, uh, previously I could have sold a commissionable product or a fee-based product, meaning I could have sold you a mutual fund that paid me a 5% uh, upfront fee, or I could have sold you a fund that um, had no upfront fee, but it had um, um, annual uh, revenue or annual payout instead. And you might not have known the difference. And as long as it was suitable for your account, you know, I could have picked whichever one I wanted for you um, and, you know, potentially picked one that gave me a higher payout, mm. which is a potential conflict of interest. At the RIAs, um, as a fiduciary, we have, to, we have to do what's in the best interest of our clients. So considering their goals and objectives and costs, um, not just what's suitable for the account, but what truly is in the best interest of this client and not the advisor, which That's again, good. yeah, you might think, well, why wouldn't you do that anyway? And, and hopefully lots of advisors do. It's just nice to align myself with a firm that also is doing that. And, um, and then I also get more flexibility and freedom to uh, grow the job and the business um, in a direction that suits me and my clients. Okay. Okay. So I've got lots of questions here. This is very interesting to me. So uh, I guess first, this new firm, how, how large is it? How many people are there? It's called Kingsview Partners, and we're a group of independent advisors. So I'm an independent advisor. And I have an assistant that 
helps me. And there's probably, oh, let's just say 50 independent advisors. So we all run our own offices and Kingsview provides our compliance and back office support. And so um, we get to run our offices however we want to, um, but we get to have the benefit of kind of having a team. Um, not that we necessarily work together, you know, I, I run my office how I want to, but we join uh, market uh, calls or uh, compliance calls or sales calls and share best practices and ideas and, and we're definitely not alone um, or taking advantage of best practices and, and ideas that are working for clients so that we're not just operating on our own. Huh. So you're independent, but you have support. So does that mean like you're paying the lease on your on your office that you have and your do you have like health insurance through through this firm or is that all on you as well yeah good question so i had to give up the medical and the 401k those mm. were no longer um, available to an independent i got a higher payout so instead of the firm keeping a larger amount um, i get to keep a larger amount yep um, but it just means i'm responsible for more of the business operations and the more efficiently I can run, um, you know, the better off me and my clients are. And, and so you're, you said you have an assistant. So this assistant, I, yeah. um, I assume you just, you, you have some sort of business account that you, you know, you run your business expenses out of, and that includes the pay for this either hourly or salary employee that you have. Mm-hmm. Yep. She's, uh, she operates, um, she's just an incredible asset to my office. She's also, there's now three advisors in Washington State, and so she's helping all three of us uh, just so that we can share the cost. Plus, as, as an advisor um, brings on uh, their clients, there's a lot to do initially as far as paperwork. Um, but once the bulk of the clients have come over, there's less to do. I mean, there's still maintenance and, and service, but um, as I had less to do, she was able to take on a second and then a third advisor. And so, um, yes, so then she's she's paid a, a salary. Um, and uh, oh, she, she actually, uh, she has medical and 401k because she functions as an employee of Kingsview Partners um, under their compliance departments. Um, oh, okay. I just got to help, got to help uh, pick her out. So Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So we've spent a lot of time talking about the business side of financial advising. And yeah. I know we, we've been talking for a while now, but I really want to hear more about your clients and how work is with clients Maybe tell me a good story, a bad story. You bet. Um, I think I want to answer that question this way. The, the need for a financial advisor uh, will vary from person to person. Not everybody is in the same place or needs a financial advisor. And I just met with somebody recently uh, who asked that question. They said, well, couldn't I just do all this on my own? Couldn't I go 
do the investment selection and, and the planning? And I said, absolutely. Some people definitely want to be hands-on and they want to be involved in not just um, um, the planning side, but also the investment selection and also placing the trades and monitoring. And And I said, and, and if that's you, if if that's who you are, then you don't need a financial advisor to do that for you. You may want to check in with a financial advisor periodically and just say, hey, am I on track? Um, just, you know, I'll pay you a, an hourly fee for a plan just to, to make sure that I'm on track, but I don't need to pay you the ongoing uh, service for, you know, work that I'm doing on my own. Well, unfortunately, this, this client, he was actually a prospect at the time, he said, uh, well, actually, I don't want to do any of that. <laughs> so he said, I, I definitely see the value now. Okay, I, I can pay for that. Oh, that okay, so good for you then. <laughs> yeah, so, so my role, my, my ideal client really is somebody who, who needs assistance with financial planning and guidance and investment selection and investment management and monitoring. And so it could be someone who just doesn't want to do that anymore, or it could be uh, oftentimes it's um, maybe one spouse has done that and then they've passed away and the surviving spouse has no interest in it or mm, yeah. um, has no experience with it. And so they're very um, eager to get some help with it. So I really love that aspect where someone needs help and I can really add value to the relationship and feel like um, the services that they're paying for are, are providing a real value for them. That's good. So are, I, ideally your candidates, of course, have, you know, $4 million that they're looking to invest and that will, you know, yield in, in a good return for you and for, for your payday. But what about the client that comes to you and says, hey, I have $10,000. Can you help mm -hmm. me with that? How, how do you, is that worth it for you? Uh, or, you know, do you feel like sometimes you're just doing people a service and you're really not taking, a, you know, a cut that's worthy of your time, but you're just helping people out from the, the good of your heart? Yeah. So generally, you know, in this business, um, we're looking for clients that have a million dollars or more because those are clients that they they've got enough set aside. They're not, um, they've got a good financial plan in place and, um, they, they have enough of a situation where they, they could use some guidance, but you're right. On the other hand, it could be someone starting out. Maybe they've just got $10,000 and it's the first time they've had this. They don't know what to do with it. They don't want to see it sit in their savings account and waste away. So yeah, a client like that is, is basically a, a pro bono case where, you know, you're, as a financial advisor, you're, you're just giving them time to go through um, what Dave Ramsey calls the, the baby step, making sure that you've got an emergency plan in place. Uh, making sure that you've paid off all of your non-mortgage uh, consumer debt, including student loans, uh, making sure that you're contributing to your 401k or your IRAs, and then setting aside money for your kids' education or grandkids' education. 
So I literally go through those steps with somebody. You've got $10,000. Great. Let's, uh, let's back up a little bit. Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, what's your income situation? You've got steady, reliable income. Okay, good. How much, um, how much debt do you have? Oh, okay. You've got $50,000 in student loan debt. Well, here's what we're going to do. You're going to take that $10,000 and you're going to go, you're going to go pay off your debts and you're going to work as hard as you can to get those debts paid off uh, as fast as you can. And then keep that same momentum and keep building up your savings. And, um, and then we can start building up your emergency fund. And then we can go from there to investing in your 401k or your IRAs. And so really every situation is going back to uh, those baby steps. Yeah. So do you have a lot of people contact you with that sort of scenario? Or is your, I mean, obviously your target market is, is not that individual. Um, but d does that happen frequently or are you pretty good at marketing and getting in contact with people that are, that are suitable for you to actually, you know, consult on a long-term basis? I do get a lot of that. I get a, a it's a mixed bag, right? So um, I get, I get a lot of people who um, just want some guidance because it's, this is new to them um, or, or they've never talked to somebody or they never had any education in high school or college around personal finance. And so um, they really do just need some guidance. And then, um, and then clients who usually have had some success with their finances, they probably have worked with somebody um, they probably have a financial advisor or someone in that type of capacity that is already advising them or had been advising them. Sometimes the best way to get those clients um, is really when a relationship with another advisor ends. Either the advisor is retired or the person's relocated and it's just not convenient for them to work with that advisor anymore. Uh, I certainly don't go about... Um, trying to hurt relationships that clients have with their advisors. If someone has a good relationship with their advisor, I encourage them to uh, continue to work on that because I value my clients that have a relationship with me and, and sure. I, I wouldn't want someone to be uh, take, trying to take clients away from me. So I'm not going to do that to someone else. But yeah, if there, if there's a need and I can provide value, and especially if I can add value over what they're already receiving, absolutely. You know, and I'll explain the value and, and what the cost will be and give them the choice. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's good to hear. Do you have clients that you feel like you can't help um, simply because what, what they want to do with their money is, is not what you would recommend? Is that a common scenario? Yeah, sure. So I'll give you another a couple examples here, uh, had someone that reached out and they had received a small inheritance from a grandparent and they wanted to invest. It was probably um, less than 50,000, but it was the first wealth that they had and was significant to them. And they, they wanted me to help them invest it and see if I could uh, help them double that money. And um, went back to those, um, kind of basic questions. Tell me about, you know, the rest of your situation, what debts do you have and your income and turned out that their, their debts exceeded uh, that amount that they'd received in inheritance. And so I advised them 
to use that money to pay off their debts first and then keep working towards building up their savings. And, and that particular individual disagreed with me and said, no, I, I can earn more than, than um, in the stock market than what I would have to pay in interest on these debts. And so I'm not going to do that. I said, well, uh, I understand that is, that is an option, but uh, it's not one that, that I feel like is in your best interest. And so I'm not going to be able to help you. Is that a common scenario? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say so. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. I, yeah, I feel like most people that, that want financial advising are going to listen to a professional advisor, right? Yeah, um, if, if they're reaching out for the advice, they're usually willing to listen. Yeah. To How do you charge clients? I, I know you get mm -hmm. paid off of the investments themselves, a small percentage, but what about those people that, you know, maybe want your advice and you, you talk about the Dave Ramsey baby steps with them? So there's um, basically three different answers here. Uh, so everybody gets a free consultation. You know, I'm going to sit down with you and, and we'll spend about an hour together and just talk about your situation and see if there's an opportunity for me to help you. And if there's a fit, if, um, if we're going to work well together or not. And so I just give that to everybody um, regardless. And then once, once we decide if there's a fit, if this is going to be a client, there's two ways that you can hire me. Uh, the first is, is the most common, and that's as a percentage of assets under management. So, you know, you're bringing over a million dollars, and it's a percentage of that. And it's, it's usually based on, on the size of the relationship. So the smaller accounts are going to be uh, a little bit more expensive than the larger accounts, just because, you know, you've still got uh, costs to cover. But um, basically... Uh, the smaller accounts you're going to pay one and a half, um, and then it can go to one percent, and then uh, below one percent. And and if it's five million or more, it's it's negotiable, just depending on the complexity of the relationship and the planning involved. And that's that's one percent of the total amount, not one percent of the growth, but one percent annually annually of the. I assume it's the average amount over a calendar year or something to that effect. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's broken into quarterly payments. Uh, so yeah, so for this example, one percent annually uh, paid on a quarterly basis. Um, and so with that, in, it includes all of the financial planning and the transactions and and everything that's involved in managing that relationship. Um, there could be funds or different investment programs that have additional fees, but those would be disclosed if, if they were picked. Okay. Um, and then the other way you can pay me is let's say that you don't have an account that you can bring over. You've got a 401k and you're still working there and, and you know, you're still contributing to it. They won't let you touch it to, to move it yep. and you wouldn't want to anyway. Uh, but you still need some guidance, and so you can you can hire me for just an hourly planning um, engagement. And I would spend maybe typical planning engagement would be four to six hours, and about two hundred and fifty an hour. So a typical plan going to pay about fifteen hundred dollars, and then that's going to include several meetings 
it's uh, the initial just gathering the facts and then there's a kind of a initial review let's here's what uh, you've shared with me and kind of um, some initial suggestions and then let's fine-tune those a little bit more we'll run a few different scenarios maybe you want to retire at this age instead of this age or live on this amount of money or spend money for this and this and then finally that results in a a finished product that they can take with them and they can implement that in their 401k or or wherever else huh okay so which type do you prefer personally um absolutely the uh, the full service because i i get to spend more time with the clients and develop a deeper relationship with them over time right well and it seems like you know, the income is a little bit more steady that way, right? It's not yeah. just a, oh, yeah. it's not just a quick fifteen hundred bucks one month, and then you'll never see that person again. It's something that'll that'll keep you um, moving forward financially, hopefully for years and years to come, right? As that person continues to to use you. Um, in the counseling world, in, in like mental health counseling and even physical therapy and things like that, counseling is really you know, only supposed to be for a period of time until you figure it out, until you mm -hmm. get well, until you've, you know, been been helped, so to say, or, you know, you've got your mental health under control or you, you've recovered from the car accident or whatever injury you had. And that, that counseling has a, a clock on it, so to say. Is financial advising different? Or, or would you recommend financial advising, you know, th throughout the entire adulthood of you know of an individual uh, it depends on the situation i would say once once a client um is nearing retirement this is the most common scenario they might be five to ten years from retirement and they they want someone to run the numbers and make sure that they can really pull this off make sure that the day they get tired of going into work they can step away without any problems and so um so, so definitely that, but then you've got to realize um, life evolves and changes and there's children and grandchildren and divorces and marriages. I definitely see this as an ongoing uh, service for a lot of people. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, my, my father is very much a do-it-yourself type of guy, and that applies mm -hmm. to everything he does in his life, whether it's... Mm -hmm you know, repairing a home or fixing a car or, um, you know, working on mental health or even physical health. He's not the type that goes to the doctor, not the type that goes to, you know, anybody mm -hmm. for any sort of help. It's mm -hmm. just maybe how he was raised. And so he, um, he's never seen a financial advisor that I know of, or he doesn't regularly use a financial advisor, I should say. And so for me to hear this from you is, is a little bit eye opening because I, I've, you know, grew up with my dad, of course. And he always just felt like you do it yourself. You take care of it, you figure it out. And, and certainly that is an option, but, but for those who are not do it yourself type of people, you know, now I understand based on what you just said that that financial advising is something that can definitely help, um, you know, through all stages of your life. So um, yes. good, good to hear. Good, good to learn. Uh, kind of lastly, you know, briefly, I, I'd like to hear 
what your goals are for the future. Where do you want to be in five or ten years? Okay. Well, I'm very happy uh, with my current role and with my clients, but I need more clients. So I'll continue to work on growing my business over the next probably, you know, realistically 15, 20 years. Uh, just continue working and, and growing uh, the client base and the assets under management and uh, being a support to my community and my family. Yeah. So, but are you able to hire other maybe junior advisors underneath you or is that not allowed in your company? No, I definitely could. Yeah, it's just a matter of making sure I have enough uh, income to support that and to pay them so I'm not having to lay them off after, you know, <laughs> right. six months for a year. Okay, so if you wanted to, you could you could more or less grow a, a small empire, have five or six people under you, and you know, uh, you. Uh, I assume that's that's how any business has grown, right? You you yeah. hire one person, and then yeah. you hire another person, and they get on their feet, and that's that's how you grow a business. So that's exactly uh, how these uh, a lot of these financial uh, investment offices are set up. Yep. And you've got uh, usually that older senior partner that is not even showing up in the office every week anymore. He's out on the golf course a lot and and uh, everyone else is running the office really for for him uh, or her. That's another thing too I should bring up. If someone wants to get into this job, um, there's a huge need for women uh, financial advisors just because most of us in the role right now are men and women love working with other women advisors. So yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Plug out there to whoever's listening. Yeah, awesome. Well, if there was one piece of advice you'd give to either a 18-year-old, you know, that might think this is their future, or a 40-year-old who is thinking they need a change in their career, what would your piece of advice be for that individual? Mm -hmm. um, have patience with yourself. So if you're starting out in this business, it's it's one that you're going to put in lots of hours and time and, and there's not going to be immediate results. It's uh, one that gets better every year um, as you're building up your clients uh, and your book of business. And so uh, have, have some patience with yourself. Um, don't be afraid of working hard and doing something that's uh, different than what you've seen others do. If you're, if you're 40 years old, you, you probably can start, um, in a different type of capacity where you're adding value to a team based on the experiences that you've already had. You know, again, it depends on what experiences you've had, but chances are, you know, I've seen some people that have had no financial services background uh, do really well in this business just because they were part of a network of something. Maybe they were in an industry and, and in that industry, there happens to be people who need help saving for retirement, right? And so they were able to tap into that network and uh, and get business through that. So uh, not not to be afraid of of your lack of financial services background. That can come with training and time. But um, All right. if you're interested, definitely take a look at it. All right. Well, Trent, I've been 
very enlightened today and i know we we took over an hour to talk about this but i think it was a very thorough conversation and we got a lot of good details out of you know out of your story and your background so thank you so much for sharing uh if somebody were interested to learn more or they had specific questions for you would you be okay if if they reached out to you directly and if so how could they do that Sure. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. I have enjoyed this and I hope that uh, someone out there is enjoying listening to it. Um, you can find more information on my website at trentonlay.com. T-R-E-N-T-O-N-L-A-Y.com. All right. Trent, thank you again for your time. I hope you have a great evening and best of luck with your future business ventures. All right. Thanks, Michael. Have a good night.